Remain standing. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. We are in a superhero series. If you were here last week, talked a little bit about Iron Man, and Iron Man showed up. I don't know what kind of Iron Man he was, kind of a tin man almost, foil man, but it's a good thing I don't believe in Tony Stark, amen? Usually they say when it comes to films and it comes to comics or things of this nature, sequels are never as good as the first one. That's what they always say. You know, sequels, you know, whenever you go to a movie, right, and you'll see the set part two or part three, most of the time people walk out of there going, and the first one was better, right? It's just, it's true, whether it's Star Wars or, you know, whatever it might be. The, The original is always like, oh, that was it. So I'm going to make the attempt, even though the sequels are usually not good, I'm going to attempt the unusual, okay? I'm going to try to match that of what was of last Sunday. Proverbs chapter 30. Are you guys ready? Somebody say superhero. Superhero. Okay, here we go. Proverbs chapter 30, we're going to read one verse, but actually let's start in verse 24, because I believe that even each one of these verses stand alone and they minister individually. Verse 24, Proverbs chapter 30, there are four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The badgers are but a feeble folk. Yet they make their houses in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet they go forth, all of them, by bands. Verse 28. Some of your translations say the lizard, but the translation, after looking into it, it's actually in the King James. The spider takes hold with its hands and is in king's palaces. What? The spider takes hold with his hands and is in king's palaces. Before you're seated, I want you to shake about three or four people's hands and tell them, be careful, there's a spider next to you. Today, I want to talk to you about Spider-Man. Now, Spider-Man, his powers, these are some of his powers. Now, just like I shared last week, I want to give you the comic nerd version, all right? Now, just for those of you who may not know, Spider-Man, we just made him up. It's not real. I know some of you think he's real. The movies make him look like he's real, doesn't he? Like, no, 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 Superman's real. Spider-Man's real. These are the powers of Spider-Man, okay? His agility, His ability to sense danger. He has gadgets. His stamina. He has super speed. He just, right now, he just ran around the building. You didn't even see it. That's how fast he was. He's a wall clinger. He can cling on walls. He has a power suit. Super strength. Mmm. He's a web slinger. One of his powers is he's very intellectual, very smart. He has healing powers. That was good. That was good. That was good. I got to give him props for that one. That was good. That was good. Apparently, Spider-Man's been sitting under the teachings of Jesus. For those of you who are listening on the podcast, Spider-Man just healed me. Amen. He has a radar sense. And then also, this is a power. I'm not making this up. 
He is an attractive male. Give it up for Spider-Man. Come on. Thank you, Spider-Man. Thank you. You can make your way on out in your super speed. Hey, it was super fast right there. That was... Spider-Man. You guys remember the song? Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Can. Here comes the... <laughs> I used to love the cartoon, right? I know they're doing this all amazing Spider-Man, but Spider-Man was already amazing to me. You didn't have to call him that. He just was. Didn't have to title him that. He just was. As I begin to study the scriptures and study the Bible, there's a man in the Bible that I find that resembles a lot to the abilities and then also to the stories of Spider-Man. Spider-Man is a man with a past that was very horrible, didn't want to talk about it. Spider-Man was a man, he had these abilities, but he needed to mask them. And there's a man that I found that is very similar in the story of Peter Parker in the Bible. And that man is the man in the life of Joseph. Joseph is a man who was also tortured and tormented within his past. And all through his past, he was actually excelled through a web of lies. If you study the life of Joseph, you will see that he was elevated, but he was elevated by being thrown down. And every time he was thrown down, it was a lie that threw him down. And there's a phrase that we have is, don't get caught in the web of lies. Right? Don't do that. But somehow, someway, Joseph was able to turn the lies around and be excelled for God's honor and for God's glory. See, the people that surrounded Joseph were always out to kill him, embarrass him, demoralize him. And matter of fact, they even forgot about him. But the great thing we find about the life of Joseph is that God never forgot about him. I'm going to say that one more time. God never forgot about him. See, even though God was quiet at times with Joseph's life, God was always there. I like the way one author put it. He said, I believe in the sun, even if it isn't shining. I believe in love, even when I am alone. And I believe in God, even when he is silent. So many times we try to figure out God and we try to put God in the place where even sometimes God is quiet, but nevertheless, he's always there. We have so many questions that we try to figure out God and we try to put God in this box figuring this must be God. This has to be God. This is not God. But I want you to know something. Even in trying to figure out everything within our lives and trying to even play God within our lives, trying to figure out God saying, well, this is, it, uh, this, is this way because of this and God is doing this because of this. And we try to figure out God and try to put so many questions upon God. I like the way one author wrote it. He said, don't question God, for he may reply, if you're so anxious for answers, come up here. Chew on it, chew on it, chew on it. Boom, there it is. We're trying to figure out God so much, but hey, if you want to try to question God, fine, go meet him. Go talk to him. Listen, don't try to figure him out. God knows what he's doing in your life. I know some of you may feel like you're in a prison, but as we see, as we dive into this life of Joseph, he actually literally was in prison. So I know some of you are going to be able to relate to this man, Joseph. Matter of fact, he was in prison for something he didn't do. Some of you are like, yeah, that was me, man. I, I didn't do it. I, I, I can relate already, bro. That's my homie right there. Shut up. You did it. You did it. You know you did. If you didn't do it, Greg probably did it. <laughs> Just know that God has you in that place and in that position for a reason. 
God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. That's what St. Augustine said. God loves each of us as, as though there were only one of us. In the life of Joseph, we see some of the things, and I want to just kind of give you bullet points, if you will, on the life of Joseph before we really dive into a story that we're going to look at later. But Joseph, at a young age, was a dreamer. Somebody say dreamer. Joseph is a major reason why even Christians of today consider themselves to be God's favorite. You ever heard a Christian say that? Oh, I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. Well, you probably know it's probably because of Joseph, because Joseph was his dad's favorite, right? That's who he was. He was, oh, my father's favorite. So probably, that's probably why Christians are, oh, I'm, I'm God's favorite. Well, I just want you to know something. Look, we're all God's favorite, amen? Every single one. You could tell yourself that. That's perfectly fine. But I want you to know, we're all God's favorite. But in this story, Joseph was Jacob's favorite. He really was. He was the favorite of his father, Jacob, and his father gave him a coat of many colors. Even despite the opposition throughout his life, throughout his brothers, throughout uh, uh, Potiphar's wife, throughout the many different people, he was able to prosper in every position of his life, even when he was in prison. Joseph was able to reach the second highest position in the land, what we would consider kind of the vice president, and help the people of his land sustain for the large famine that was to come. Joseph is even mentioned in the very famous Hebrews chapter 11, Hall of Faith. But what was so great about the life of Joseph? Not much greatness comes from the youngest of brothers. I mean... If you really look at it, leadership and authority seems to be the portrait of always the oldest brother, does it not? You know, you can kind of tell sometimes of the ones who are oldest because the oldest ones, you know, they're the authority, they speak, you know, you know they just, they could tell all their brothers what to do because they're older. But what's so great about Joseph? He was the youngest. How come we're not talking about Judah so much? Why more chapters are devoted to Joseph? Why? What was so great? about Joseph. He didn't perform any miracles. Matter of fact, from what we study, he wasn't even any author of holy scriptures that we see. He never walked on water. He never even parted any waters. I mean, what was so special about the youngest of a band of brothers who was just hated all of his life? Now, really quickly, in the life of Joseph, we learn about Joseph that he went from the pit to Potiphar's to the prison to the palace. Are you hearing me? Joseph went from the pit to Potiphar's to the prison and even to the palace. Such a dynamic life that 14 chapters of the Old Testament are devoted to his biography. Now, in these 14 chapters, we learn about Joseph, the young dreamer. We learn about Joseph, the slave boy. We learn about Joseph, the handsome, lusted after, falsely accused servant. We learn about Joseph, the dreamer of interpreters for inmates. Then we even learn about Joseph, how he interprets a major dream for the most powerful man in the land, and that's Pharaoh. And even, as he, even he even has this dream exalt him into this position from prisoner to second in command, all because of his dream. He prepares the people of the land for the hardship to come. Joseph went through so much in his life just to get where he was at. He was lied about. He was talked about. He was beaten. He was sold as a slave for 30 shekels, 30 pieces of silver. Kind of reminds you of another man who was sold for 30 pieces of silver. He, was so, he wasn't cared about. Nobody cared for him. But nevertheless, this is what I love. In Genesis chapter 41... You don't have to turn there, but write it down if you're taking notes. Genesis 41, verse 51. Even throughout all the hardships of Joseph, this is what he says. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Ooh. Look at verse 52. The second son he named Ephraim. It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Wow. I haven't even gotten into the life of Joseph, but you can already tell Joseph went through so many things. And still, look at this. He still named his children a blessing even after he was cursed. Who does that? 
that's a powerful statement to name your children the blessings of God, even though the sorrows of this world and the struggles of this world try to beat you down. See, my friend, your dreams of tomorrow are being written by your struggles of today. I'm going to say that one more time. Your dreams of tomorrow are being written by your struggles, by your battles, by your sorrows of today. Can I hear an amen? Now, there's a story within Joseph's biography that we look at and we see, and it is a story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. It's a very popular one. This is where Joseph works for Potiphar. Potiphar has a cougar wife. She sees this new handsome man. She calls Joseph. Joseph gets the heaven out of the room. Didn't want to say the other one. Then this cougar lies to her husband and says that Joseph tried to rape her. Potiphar then throws Joseph in prison, right? It's the classic she saw, he ran, she lied, he went to prison for something he didn't do story. It's a classic story. It's classic. So while he's in prison, he met some people. You know, you know when you go to prison? Oh, I know a guy. I know a guy. That's probably where we get that phrase from. You get out of prison and you're like, hey, just chopping it up there at house. And, you know, hey, does anybody know? I know a guy. You meet a lot of guys in prison. So while he's in prison, prison, he meets a guy or two. In the prison, he interpreted a few dreams. Because remember, that was one of his giftings. He was able to uh, you know, interpret dreams. That's actually what got him here in this place because of his brothers. His brothers, they didn't like the dream he interpreted when he was young. So what they do, they put him in a pit. They said, get out of here. We're going to kill him. But Judah was like, hey, hold on, here comes some slave, uh, you know, here comes the, uh, a caravan of Egyptians, let's sell him. So they sold him. Then the, the Egyptians sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar then took him, Potiphar's wife, she lied. He raped me, liar. Yeah, whatever, go to prison. Here he is now in prison, interpreting dreams. Still using his giftings, never let his giftings go. He interpreted a few dreams, one for a baker and one for a cupbearer. It's kind of like the, the movie Goodwill Hunting. Everybody, anybody ever seen that movie? I really like it. That's one of my favorite top three movies of all time. I love it. If you've never seen it, watch it. I don't recommend a lot of movies, but that's a good one. And in that movie Goodwill Hunting, it's this genius kid, right? Genius. But he's a janitor. But there's a scene in the movie I really like. Because in the movie, I know I'm giving the movie away. If you don't want to hear, if you don't want to hear and you want to watch the movie later, just put your ears and go, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> but in the movie, there's a scene because he's a smart guy, but he has a temper problem. He's very angry. He has a lot of anger problems from when he was a kid. He was beat down as a kid. So he has to go see a psychiatrist because this teacher wants to use him. He's smart. He's so smart. So the teacher's like, well, if I'm going to use him, i got to deal with his anger. Go see a psychiatrist. So the psychiatrist sees his problems. But he's like, yeah, nobody can help me. Yeah, you can't help me. I'm super smart, whatever. And then there's a scene in there where he's talking with him, and he says, hey, you're so smart, but if you're so smart, why are you a janitor at the smartest school in America? You could be a janitor anywhere else. Why are you here? You could be doing anything else, but why are you here? With the story of Joseph, you could be anywhere else, but why are you here? See, there was a purpose to this prison. There was a purpose to this position of where he was at. See, there was a purpose to this lowly position. After he interpreted these dreams, the cupbearer was released, but he forgot about Joseph. Isn't that just like some of the guys in prison? Hey, man, don't forget about me when you get out, man. <laughs> like, hey, I got you. I got you. Don't worry. I'm going to send. I'm put some money on the books. Don't worry about it, dog. I got you, man. I'm gonna, as a matter of fact, I'm going to come visit you. I will visit you, dog. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about it. I got it. Don't ever come. That's what happened to Joseph. Joseph was like, hey, I interpreted your dreams. Don't forget about me. Yeah, I'm the cupbearer to the king. I got you. And what happens when people get out? Oh, my bad. My bad. Even after they realize that my bad, they still don't do anything about it. My bad. Next time, when I get back in there, I'll remember you. Two years later... The Pharaoh has a dream, and then the cupbearer cup who was in prison with Joseph remembers about 
Joseph in the joint. I remembered. He tells the Pharaoh about a guy who can interpret dreams. Then what happens is Joseph gets released, interprets the dream, becomes second in command to all the land, and has his dreams from years prior start to come to pass. The interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams had him prepare the people for the famine. See, what happened was Pharaoh had this dream, and as Joseph interpreted it, Joseph interpreted the dream, and Pharaoh told him, because of your interpretation of my dream, I'm going to put you in charge of my dream. Because the dream was about the famine. So he said, okay, we're going to prepare for the famine, but you are going to do it all. You're going to prepare all this stuff. You are going to be second. I am the only one in all the land that's going to be higher than you. Can you imagine going from a prisoner to the vice president of the United States? Who does that? Joseph. There was purpose to his lowly position. What did he say? Nixon. (laughs) That was reversed. This interpretation of Pharaoh's dream had him become the second in command and prepare for the famine. However, the famine was so widespread and hit thousands and millions around Egypt. So what did they do? They came to Pharaoh for food. But guess who was coming from, Pharaoh, from Canaan to Egypt? His brothers. See, the famine hit everybody in the land and everybody around Egypt. Now, this is a full story. I don't have really a lot of time to get into this. But this, just put it this way. This is better than any soap opera you'll ever watch. It's a crazy story. Really quick, I'm going to try my best. If I get it wrong, but, you know, I've been studying it a lot, so I'm going to try my best. Young boy has a dream. He's the favorite. Brothers hate him. Brothers are like, let's kill this guy. Someone, one of the other brothers, no, let's just throw him in the pit. Let's get him in the pit. Okay, we'll get him in the pit. Let's sell him to this caravan. The caravan gets him. They take him on. They go back to his father, Jacob. Jacob's like, hey, what happened to my son? Oh, my gosh, he's killed. If you read that story, that's a powerful story. The father tears off his clothes. I can't take it. Joseph then sold to these Egyptians. The Egyptians, they take him to Potiphar. Potiphar, he's a general in the army. He's there. He's serving Potiphar. Potiphar has a wife. She's like, ooh, he's so sexy. She wants to get after him. Joseph's like, be gone, you witch. I can't have you. This is not going to happen. You ain't, you ain't getting none of this. I brought sexy back, but it ain't happening with you. I had to be very clear with that, that it was sexy back. <laughs> so Joseph's like, nah, it ain't going to happen. So he starts running away. When he runs away, Potiphar's wife grabs his cloak, and she's like, oh, my gosh, get back here. And since, you know, she, all she did is, is nothing but a liar anyways, she lies to her husband. Oh, my gosh, look, I have his coat. He tried to rape me. Potiphar believes his wife, says, okay, Joseph, I can't believe you tried to do this. Go to prison. But he didn't just go to any prison. He went to the king's palace prison. Out of all places, why you got to go there? So anyways, he's there. He's, you know, he's there for some time. As he's there in time, he cook, uh, cooks it up with some homies. Hey, what's happening there? You a cupbearer? What's happening? Who am I? I'm just nothing but a guy with a coat of money colors. Hey, you're a cupbearer. Oh, that's cool, man. Let me interpret your dreams for you. Oh, that's great. Hey, don't forget about me when you go to the king. Cupbearer gets out. Cupbearer's not out. Joseph's waiting there like, dude, he's forgetting about me. Finally, years later, cupbearer remembers him, says, hey, Pharaoh, you're just having a dream. It's not a bad night. I got a guy who can interpret it. Pharaoh says, bring the guy. So what does he do? He gets the guy. The guy is Joseph. Here comes Joseph. Hey, Pharaoh, I can interpret your dream. Pharaoh's like, dude, that is awesome. Now I want you to take that dream, and you're going to be ruler of all the land. Man, that's awesome. And now here we are with Joseph. Joseph's now taking care of the dream. Always remember this. Your dreams will be taken care of. Give the Lord a hand of praise if you believe that. Now, here we are in this story. Pharaoh's dream was about a famine. So the famine not only hit Egypt, but it hit everywhere around it. Now, Canaan is where Joseph was from. It's where he was at, where he would do his shepherding, where he would do his herding, where he would also do his 
arrogant dreams, if you will. This is where it happened. But now Joseph's over there, but his brothers are still here. His family was still in that position. But the family hit them over here. So what did they do? Dad says, hey, why don't you go to Egypt? I've heard they still got food over there. Go buy some food. So now all the brothers are making their way to where Joseph is. But remember, this is over 20 years later. He was a young boy. Now he's a man. He looks different, talks different, acts different. He's not the same guy. So now we get into the story. Genesis chapter 44. Are you ready? This is where we're, we're going to get it right here. I, I think you guys are going to really love this. I, I love this right here. Genesis chapter 44 and verse 11. Genesis 44, verse 11. If you have it, say amen. If you don't read on with somebody there next to you, I know they got a Bible. We're going to read a few verses, so follow along with me, and I will try my best for you to understand this portion of Scripture. Genesis 44, verse 11 says, Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then... The steward proceeded to search beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. This is already after a little test. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers, Judah being the oldest, came in. And they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, remember Joseph is the vice president here, but they don't recognize him. What is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? Okay, look at this really quick. Joseph's playing tricks on them. Basically, bottom line, they don't recognize them. You ever wanted to play a joke with somebody that they don't recognize you? Don't lie. You know you have. That's what Joseph was doing. So he says, don't you know that a man like me, I can find this out? Judah replied, what can we say, my Lord? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will be my slave. The rest of you go. Back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Don't be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? Mm, this is very important right here. And we answered, we have an aged father. And there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. Ooh. Guess who his brother was? Talk about him. They thought it was dead. It was gone. And he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. I told you, this is soap opera. I love this. It's crazy. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with me, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our younger brother is with us, will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he has already been torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave of misery. So now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Verse 33. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. 
How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No! Mm. Do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Look at the next verse here in the next chapter. Verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Wow. 17-year-old boy becomes a man, the second most powerful man in all of the land. The 17-year-old boy had a dream that one day his brothers, even though he was the youngest, even the eldest, all the way down to the next oldest one before him, would bow down to him. They hated him. They hated him, sold him, told his father he was killed. Years later, they're bowing before him. What in the world just happened? This is a story that would take any soap opera and put it at the lowest of the lows. I mean, this is just wow. I mean, as I was reading this story, I, I, like my mind got blown. I couldn't believe what just happened here. Because it was, you know, it was kind of like one of those Luke and Laura type of soap operas. If you laughed, you're a little old. All the young people were like, huh? Laura, is that a new book in the Bible? I don't get it. Because what happened was he takes off the mask. I am he. What? I, wait, hold on one second. This is not supposed to be. I mean, it's got to be. This is a surreal moment. My brother, who I thought was surely dead, is now my ruler. My brother has the ability to kill me right now. How is this even possible? This got to be a trap. I mean, if it was today's day and age, we would think, oh, we're getting punked right now. Am I getting punked? I got to be on a TV show. This can't be real. There is no way that this is real. It cannot be. B, that's what was happening right here at this moment. So many mixed emotions, I believe, were happening at this very moment. See, and this moment was the moment of truth. So many lies had been talked about, had been spread about Joseph, and here it is, 20 plus years later, the truth comes out. A web of lies got him to where he was at. But he always stood for truth. Now at this one moment, he could share the truth. See, so many times we try to avenge ourselves, right? No, 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 let me tell him the truth. Let me tell You know how many times people have lied about me? How many times people have lied about you? And you want to go to that person? No, 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 that's not the truth. You know how many times and opportunities Joseph could have told everybody within 20 years? That's a lie. That's a lie. But he never once did it. I don't know about you. I'm going to be very honest. I don't know if I can hold on to the truth like that for 20 plus years and be talked about, be lied about, be told that I was dead. Be told that I was a thief, been hated on, made up stories about. Somebody even, I mean, a woman even said, I raped her. I mean, can you think about that? That's not true. Well, I don't care what's not true. It's, it's, not, it's not what the truth is. It's, not, it's what you can prove, right? That's what they say. It's what you can prove. For 20 years, Joseph couldn't prove it. And now he had the opportunity to do it. What should I do? Should I mess with them? Should I do all this stuff to them? Should I get them? Matter of fact, he kind of did mess with them. When you read the story, he, he put them all in prison for three days. Just for three days. This guy was in prison for years. But he goes, might as well mess with them once. You know, I got a little bit of power. Hey, all right. <laughs> to the dungeons. <laughs> so if you read the story, he did do that. 
But then he put them on a test. And they came back. And at that moment, he was going to see, were they going to pass or were they going to fail? As Judah was explaining this, remember, Judah was the one that even mentioned, hey, hey, hold on. Let's not kill him. Let, you know, let's, let's just sell him. Let's just sell him. But still, Judah wanted to get rid of him. Years later, here's Judah defending his youngest brother. As years prior, Joseph, the youngest brother, he didn't defend him. He's seen a change in Judah. He's seen a change in who he was. And what happened was inside all these mixed emotions were taking place with Joseph going, oh my gosh, 20 plus years earlier, nobody defended me. Now all of a sudden this same man out of the same mouth that wanted to kill me and lied about me is now speaking the truth. Oh my gosh, my heart. It hurts. It hurts. I don't know if you've ever been lied about by your family. I'm not talking about friends. I'm talking about by your family. It hurts. If there's anybody that hurts the most, it's family. You can be away from your family for 20 plus years and it still hurts. I can know somebody for 20 days or 20 minutes and feel like, oh, we're so close. We're best friends. But I want to tell you something. There's nothing like a connection of family. 20 plus years, he could have let it go. But these emotions were stirring up inside of him. All the lies that have been talked about. All these things. All this stuff. He didn't rape Potiphar's wife. He wasn't killed by animals. You see, my friend, all the lies led, led him in a downward spiral. But his truth of character always kept him looking upward. At that very moment, and this is where we're getting into it right here. This very moment, Genesis 4, chapter 45, verse 5. Look at verse 5 through 8. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Wow. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God, somebody say, but God. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you. Mm, it was not you who sent me here. But God, he made me Pharaoh to father, or father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Look at this, my friend. This is the perfect opportunity for Joseph to get revenge. This is the perfect opportunity for Joseph to share the truth and make them feel the pain that he's felt for years. Oh, this was that moment that most people always wait for. Joseph had been waiting for over 20 years, but there were two words that changed the atmosphere in that room. But God. But God. See, my friend, you cannot genuinely embrace a person you have not fully forgiven. You can't. It's impossible. It's impossible to embrace somebody with the love of Christ without fully forgiving them for what they've done to you. Oh, my Lord. He could have easily shared all the stories that have happened to him. But instead, Joseph said, you didn't send me here. God sent me here. He didn't see them as enemies. He saw them as his brothers. See, Joseph was a man who operated his life with divine perspective. What you meant for evil, God turned it around and meant it for good to preserve life. He had a divine perspective on what God wanted to do. Listen to me. How many of you could honestly say, God put you in prison? I mean, right now, maybe some of you in this atmosphere, like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Yeah, of course. Yeah, like, after a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. But can you imagine being face-to-face -face with the person that burnt you that you went to jail for? That you went to prison for? Let's be honest. In our human nature, if we seen that guy 20 years later, go, man, dude, I went to jail for you, bro. I went to prison for you. Dude, a, a woman said I raped her because of you. But it's okay. I love you now. Right? All right? That would be very hard to do. Can we be honest? Can I hear an amen? That would be very hard to do. 
Here in the midst of his mixed emotions, he says two words that changed it all. He says, look, you didn't send me to prison. God did. Oh, my Lord. See, some of you need to understand something. Some of you went to prison thinking it was your friend, thinking it was your brother, thinking it was your sister, it was your dad's fault, it was my mom's fault. Well, if they would have just taught me right, well, if I would have had enough money, well, if I wouldn't have did this, well, if this wouldn't have happened to me, this would have never took place. Here's Joseph. He didn't do anything. Still, nevertheless, he says, look, you didn't do it to me. God put me in this place, and God knows what he's doing with my life. He knows better about me than you. But God, you need to embrace that perspective. Understand that. It wasn't your mom that did that to you. It wasn't your dad that did that to you. Oh, and believe me, I know it hurts, but pastor, you don't understand. Look, when you read the life of Joseph, you wouldn't understand him. The things that happened to him. The things that took place with him, people lied about him. People said, you can't do this. You'll never make it. It's not possible. You're too young. You're a liar. I just want to hate on you. Why'd you do this? I don't understand. Hey, I'm going to help you, but I'm going to forget about you. Who cares? All this stuff happened to him. And still in that very moment, Joseph said, you didn't do this to me. Oh, man. I don't know about you, but that would be very hard for me. That'd be very hard. He said, God sent me here. God did this to me. See, my friend, greatness is revealed mainly within our attitudes. The attitude and the perspective that Joseph had was a great one. If you think greatness is about success with your hands, my friend, you are in for a rude awakening. Greatness comes from the powerful attitudes of humility and forgiveness towards your neighbor. Thomas Jefferson said, when the heart is right, the feet are swift. Ooh, I like that. When the heart is right, the feet are swift. See, part of the reason why so many times we are lethargic in transmitting the truth of God's word is because our heart isn't right. You know so many times why we're so heavy and we carry on so, so many of these burdens? It's not because we don't want to carry these burdens, but it's because a lot of times our heart ain't right. Our heart isn't right. We carry these things, and then we think, well, nobody knows. The Bible says, cast all your nobody knows unto him. Cast them all unto him. The Bible doesn't say, well, just cast the ones that you think I can take. Just cast the ones that just happened to you recently. The old ones, no, you hold on to those. It says, no, cast all of them. The right attitude makes the right difference. What happened here with Joseph at this moment and the faith that we see, three quick lessons. I'm going to give them to you real quick that we see within Joseph's attitude at this moment. Number one, by faith we see God's hand. By faith we see God's hand. See, Joseph at the time said, God sent me. God sent me. He had a divine perspective. He had the right perspective. Samuel Grafton said, a penny will hide the biggest star in the universe if you hold it close enough to your eye. And it's true. A penny will hold the biggest star in the universe if you just hold it up to your eye. Some of you right now, it's very hard for you to see God because you've got a penny in your eye. Well, yeah, I, I think, it's, well, I don't know if it's God or not. I'm not. Is this God? No, God would never do this. God wouldn't do that. I don't know. You should have seen the God, the things that God let Joseph go through. You would think, okay, all right, okay, here's God. Like, okay, they're lying about, ooh, now a woman lied about you. I know you didn't do it. You know what? Let me help you. God was still silent. See, and a lot of times we go, this ain't God. This can't be God. Are you sure? Are you positive? You should see the things that Joseph went through. Talked about David last week. You should have seen the things that David went through. The mess-ups that he did. You would have think, okay, as soon as he laid with Bathsheba, God would, okay, come on. Let him, no, actually, no. Waited for the baby to be born. Then sent Nathan later on. God would never, are you sure? Are you positive? See, some of the positions that you are in right now, you need to know that God knows exactly what he's doing. 
You need to be able to see the hand of God in your position. No matter how low, no matter how high, no, no matter how mental, you have to have a divine perspective. Number two, by faith, we sense the hand of God. We sense the hand of God. We need to grow where we are planted. We have to know that God put us here for a reason. A lot of times it's very easy to say, you know what? Well, I don't really feel it. I don't really know. Listen, you need to know what it's like to feel the hand of God. That there's a peace within you. See, some of you right now, you're in a situation, you're wondering, well, is this God? You need, to, you need to be in your situation and say, listen, I'm not going nowhere unless I know it's the hand of God. I'm not doing anything unless I know it's the hand of God. Now, listen to me. You may still go through troubles, but it could still be the hand of God. Are you hearing me? You're going to walk through a valley of a shadow of death, but don't worry about it. God's still with you. See, a lot of times we tend to think and we have the perspective, only when I feel happy, because I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Woo! See, that's God. Because I'm sad. That's not God. Are you sure? There's a lot of scriptures that talk about it. Weeping may endure for a night. Some of you, I don't know how long your nights are lasting. Remember, night, even a lot of times when you read the scriptures, some are literal. Some you have to take within the spiritual sense. Some of you right now, you've been in a long night for maybe three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy, it comes when the illumination of the sun comes and hits you. It may endure for a night, but joy comes when the moment is there of truth. Like with Joseph, when he saw it and his brothers were in front of him, all of a sudden these mixed emotions, what do I do? I don't know. Should I do this? Should I do that? No. I'm going to express to them the truth, and the truth will set me. He saw God's hand. The first thing by faith, we see God's hand. Second thing by faith, we sense God's hand. I like what Mary Crowley says. She said, every evening I turn my worries over to God because he's going to be up all night anyways. And number three and the last one here. By faith, we need to accept the process. By faith, we need to accept the process. If you and I can learn to have the right response, even in the wrong treatment, listen to me, even in the wrong treatment, you and I can be a trophy of grace. I love that word. As I was studying, I saw that word. It wasn't pertaining to this story, but I saw that. I said, oh, man, I like that. I like that phrase, trophy of grace, trophy of grace, trophy of grace. What you and I are, we are a trophy of grace. See, so many times, so many people say, God, where is God? How do I know God exists? Well, and you could tell them, well, you say, you know what, I, I just know it by faith. You may not be able to see him in the physical eyes, but you can see his trophy. I'm his trophy. I'm a walking, talking, living, breathing trophy of grace. That's who I am. And I want to give you that opportunity to be that trophy of grace for God. Think of the moment of what happened with Joseph. He could have lied more and more and more. And he could have been that man that just kept giving more web of lies. More web of lies. Everybody's lied to me. I might as well lie to everyone else. Everybody's always told me this. I might as well just lie about this. But at that one moment, Joseph said, no. I'm going to reveal the truth. I'm going to let them know that what they did to me, it wasn't them. God sent me here. God knows exactly what he's doing. Some of you are in a situation thinking, I don't know if God really knows. No, God knows exactly where you're at. God knows exactly what you're doing. God knows exactly who's around you. God knows exactly who's put you in that position. God knows. As it comes to the keyboard, I want to end with this. As we see here in the story of Joseph, this Spider-Man who's been haunted by a past and said, you're never going to amount to nothing. Nobody cared about him. You're never going to do it. But then all of a sudden, now we see Joseph. That one moment, the moment of truth, truth of character, always kept that truth by him. Years ago, we had um, our drama, Shotgun. And I've shared this, I think, story once or twice. 
I know I shared it once in the training center. I shared it once, I think, in San Diego. I'm not sure if I've ever shared it here, but uh, I might have. Years ago, we did our drama shotgun, and we used to go up on, a, on stage. Maybe the worship team could just stop moving for a little bit. Everybody's kind of moving here. Um, the, the production that we did, we had a great time in San Francisco. And when we were in San Francisco, we filmed it. And we filmed the shotgun. We put it on VHS when VHS was still cool at the time. And I remember we put it on VHS. And I've always, you know, been the guy when it comes to, like, as long as it wins souls, just do it. As long as it's not horrible, horrible, bad, bad quality. Now, the VHS itself, it was a live staging. We made it look like a real movie. So even when people looked at it, like, oh, it's a movie. And then they put it on, like, oh, man, it's, it's a stage. Well, I felt it was good enough. I was like, yeah, just put it out there. And the funny thing was is that they actually cut down the drama that day that we did it because we had an hour-long drama, and he told us to do it in 20 minutes. Like, oh, man. So it wasn't really good for show, but I liked it, and they, they had all the cameras. So we put it on VHS. And I remember we were trying to get it everywhere. Get over here, put it over here, put it over there. They showed it in the juvenile halls, showed it in different places, and we were excited, powerful. Well, months later, we get a phone call. And as we get a phone call, uh, I remember, I think, the secretary at the time, she picked it up, and they asked, they said, hey, are you guys the church that does the play shotgun? You guys put this film together, a stage play. And she was a little bewildered, like, what? You know, forgetting that we put it out. Oh, yeah, that's us. Let me get you to the director. That was me. I was there at the time. I picked up the phone. And he said, I ain't got a whole lot of time. But we're making a movie. We're right here in San Leandro, and we're, we need some, this is what he said. He said, we need some Mexican thugs. He's like, you got any Mexican thugs? I go, hmm. Let me pray on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got some Mexican thugs? You got any black thugs? Hmm, Yeah. But sure, no problem, because we're doing a movie. We'd like some extras. Sure, no problem. I can get them for you. When do you need them? He goes, I need them in 15 minutes. Like, like boy, you tripping. <laughs> 15 minutes, come on, man. I said, yeah, I'll get it for you. But I go, how did you hear about us? He goes, well, a friend of mine gave me a VHS of yours, and I seen that, you know, you guys deal with gangs. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, that was us, that was us. He goes, yeah. He goes, I really liked it, and I seen what you guys had on stage, and I think we can use those people. Sure, not a problem. So what did I do? At the time, he's now a pastor, but Anthony Sanchez, he was there. I go, come on, Anthony, you're a Mexican thug. Come on, brother, let's go. I said, Walter, come on, you thug, get over here. Walter Martin said, let's go, you know. And then we had, I had Alan, little white boy Alan, crazy Crazy Lord. Oh my gosh. So we had the blacks, the whites, the Mexicans, the Filipinos. We had them all together. We got them all and we took them over there to the set. It was right on B Street next to Val's Burgers. I'll never forget. We're there and they got all the cameras and they're shooting it. I don't know if Victor was there or any of the, you guys were there. You were there? Yeah, we were there and, and uh, they had the cameras there. You know, it was a movie, legit movie. Like, oh, okay, pretty good. They're shooting it, and so we go out there, you know, we're dressed in our shotgun clothes, and they're like, okay, we need somebody to do this. And so they, they gave me the lines, and they go, can you do this? I go, yeah, I can do that, no problem. So I go out there, do some lines, and we're doing it. And then Alan, Alan's a, you need to know about Alan. Alan's crazy. Because they had me do a drive-by, but it was a walk-by. They're like, break yourself. So, Alan, he's like, dude, why are, you, why are you doing a walk-by? I don't know. That's what they want. He's like, hey, let's use the cars. I was like, so I told the director, I go, hey, I got a car. And he had a little hoopta ville, right? It was a little crazy little car, a little hoopty. And we, we got the car, and we, you know, skirted. You know, we're getting the car, and I get out the car. Like, yeah, now I feel like legit. Now, yeah, what's up? I was all smiling in the camera. What's up? You know. Boom. Went on. Great time. It was awesome couple months later after that I get a phone call and 
it's the director of another movie. He calls the church and he says, hey, there's this guy that we used in the film. I don't know who he was, but we want to use him for another film. I said, sure, what does he look like? Oh, it looks like this. So he described me. Okay, all right. I said, sure, I could do that. He goes, we're, we're shooting a movie. I need a main role of a Puerto Rican, Latin-looking young fellow. Sure, I could do that. So I went over, talked with him. He gave me a script, a whole script. I'll never forget the name of the movie. It's called Get Money. That's what it was called, Get Money. I was reading it. It was a whole lot of cuss words, right? A whole lot of cuss words. I was a youth leader at the time. A whole lot of cuss words, a whole lot of cuss words. I go, go back to the director and said, hey, there's a lot of writing. I go, I can get away with the attitude without cussing like this. And the writer's like, oh, okay, you know. He goes, well, show me. So I went there, did some reading for him. Boom. Liked it. Good. So he goes, okay, you're going to play the main role. I said, all right, cool. Kept reading the script. And in the script, there's a scene where the guy who I was going to play goes into a strip club and starts making it rain with the strippers. I remember, I'm the youth leader at the time. But I'm still young. Thinking, hey, all right, yeah. So I was like, oh, man, how can I do this? Oh, man, I'm trying to figure it out. So I go to the, myself. I hadn't talked to my parents yet. Go to the director said, look, uh, it would be a little hard for me to be seen with strippers and this and that and, you know, make it rain. And, you know, I go, unless it's real money, give me real money. I'll take it, you know. I'll make it rain on me, you know. I'll take it. Our youth group needs a speaker system, you know. So I told him, ah, you know, he goes, okay, we're going to shoot the shot at this level. He goes, we'll just have the girls standing on top. They'll only see their feet, and they'll just see your head. I said, mm, okay, I guess. And I remember I went back to my parents. I told them the story of what was going on. And I'll never forget, never forget. My, my dad. He says, hey, that's great. That's good. He says, I'm happy for you. He goes, but you need to ask yourself if you want to be in a movie, if in that movie you can show it to your youth group, then do it. He goes, but if you can't and there's not a conviction that's strong enough for that. But I like my father. He always said, you can do what you want. I was a young man already. I was 21, 22. Do it. So I'll never forget that. Took the script, went to the director, talked to him, sat down. And I'm there in his loft in Oakland. I'll never forget. We're on the third floor. Nice place. We're sitting there. And as we're sitting there talking, I'm going over with him, sharing with him about, about this and that. And he's looking at me like, mm. you know, because I'm changing his whole script. I can't be in that strip scene. I can't be in... You know, cussing. Matter of fact, I even told him. That's what I told him. I said, I would really appreciate it if there was no strippers in the movie at all. He just kind of looked at me. Mm, okay. And as we're sitting there, all of a sudden, some girls walk in. And they all walk in. And he goes, oh, the strippers are here. Now, I know because of the way it works for many of you right now, you kind of pictured it. They were fully clothed. They were just, you know, they weren't acting at the time, okay? They were just meeting there along with some of the other cast members. They all came in. They all walked in. We're going to do a reading. We introduced ourselves and that. Okay. So I remember I sat there and I said it again in front of all of them. I said, this is what I would really appreciate it if I could. And I'll never forget the director told me a story of Sidney Portier, And he said that Sidney Portier, very famous actor, great actor. Said he had convictions, just like of what I was sharing with him. That Sidney Portier would not do a certain film, his very first film, to be asked to be in. He said he would not do it for the sake of sensuality. So he told me that story, and he goes, that's how I feel about you. I said, okay, well, thank you. He said, so what do you want to do? He goes, well, you know what? I'll call you. Walked out of there. Guess what? He never called. A couple months later, I see that movie in the newspaper. Lo and behold, my dad saw it. He goes, Stella, come here. And he goes, what was the name of that movie that you were going to be in? I go, oh, let's get money. He goes, 
Oh, look, it's right here. It made money. <laughs> Come on. As a young man, I wanted to, you know, honestly, man, that's what I wanted to do. Be movies. Do this with the movies. I'm still young. I'm ready to go. could do it. But at that moment, I had that time and that opportunity to either continue on, not a big deal, no one's going to know, figure out all these different ways of how I could hide it, how I could not be seen, do this, do that, still work it. Now remember, what I forgot to mention was that they were going to pay me a lot of money. I won't tell you how much, but they were going to pay me. It was a whole lot more than what I was making as a youth leader. That's all I'm going to say. This is what I was making as a youth leader. Handshakes. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So, believe me, I was going to get a lot of money. Could have bought a car. Would have been great. So I'll never forget at that time, man, I could have did it. could have went. I feel like, was it Marlon Brando? I could have been somebody. I could have been a contender. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. So some of you, probably like myself, you might look back, go, man, shoulda, woulda, coulda. I coulda did this. I coulda been that. Coulda went here. Coulda did that. But all I had to do was just do this, but now I'm here. Joseph could have had the perfect opportunity to go, man, well, now I'm here. I'm just, this is, all right, whatever. You know, nobody knows the real truth. I got here by lies, but all right. But then the moment came where his conviction shone through. I want to tell you something. That moment was one of the most freeing moments I ever had. Could I have done it? People even still to this day said, you know, if you knew, I played a lot of baseball. I could have been a baseball player. Could have did that. If I would have kept going with it, played with Jimmy Rollins. I know probably some of you out there could have been sports athletes too. I probably, even at the time, I was going for my SAG, the Screen Actors Guild card. I could have been an actor. I'm okay. I'm not that great, but I'm okay. I figured if I got into that, I would have gotten better. I could have done that. But at that moment, I had my moment of truth. And it put me in a position where a lot of emotions could have controlled me. Some of you are going to find yourself in a position and in a moment where a lot of emotions can control you. Well, nobody knows, man. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I've been through. They don't understand, man. My mom did this to me. My dad, I didn't have a dad. My brothers, they were hating on me. My coworkers, nobody talks to me. That's why I'm alone all my, by myself. Nobody wants to listen to me. So nobody understands. Joseph could have very easily, easily said nobody understands me and left by himself. But instead, that one moment, Joseph took off the mask said, look, no more of this Spider-Man. You want to know the real superhero? Standing in front of you right here, right now. All the lies that have been shared about me. All the stuff that I haven't been able to say. Now I get this moment to share the real truth. I am Joseph. God sent me here. It wasn't you. You didn't do this to me. My wife didn't do this to me. My ex-wife didn't do this to me. Listen to me. Those of you that are divorced, it's not your ex-husband. It's not your ex-wife. Who? What's it them? I know a lot of times you want to put a blame somewhere. Has to be. It's got to be. Joseph could have very easily. I should be doing this. I could be doing that. Joseph said no. Then he embraced it and said, listen. God sent me here. God has me here. I may not fully understand it, but God put me here. God put me here to save lives. And my brothers, listen to me. Some of you here this morning, you need to forgive your brothers. I, I don't mean in the spirit. I mean your literal brothers. 
your literal sisters. Some of you need to forgive your mom. And you, I mean, it's, it's a long way to do repenting and forgiveness. It's long, it's overdue. You gotta forgive. Some of you need to forgive your ex-wife. Some of you need to forgive your ex-husband. Some, some of you need to forgive your ex-stepchildren. That was my stepchildren, it was his kids. That's why they did that, and her kids. No, no, no. Joseph, I'm the man that God put here. You didn't do this to me. God did it. So because of that, he was able to save his family and save all those around. I want everyone to stand with me here this morning. Oh, I feel the spirit of God moving and ministering even right now. Come on, let's just lift our hands here this morning. Let's just lift our hands here this morning. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. hallelujah. So the spirit of God is moving and ministering even right now. Even right now. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, as they begin to sing this song, if that's you, I want you to slip out of your seat right now.